0: in order to understand the scope of the global food crisis we are facing we've reached out to someone who's worked extensively on the issue for many years our guest today will help us paint the big picture so that we may see what is at stake who it will hurt and possible ways to counter the crisis this is zebra future with your hosts herman holland and myself timothy matters
1: Our guest today is Mathieu Favas, a finance correspondent at The Economist. He's based in London and has a career within editing, reporting, and even the wine industry. You may have heard or seen him on various major news outlets as a leading voice on banking, fintech, insurance, and private equity. We are so thrilled to have him join us on this episode of CBER Future. Thank you, Mathieu, for joining us. Thank
2: you. It's a pleasure to be on the show.
1: Could you paint a picture for us uh, concerning this upcoming food crisis, which actually has been brewing quite a while even before this war in in Ukraine started?
2: Yeah, I think what's uh, what's important to say first is that we are starting from a a position of of severe weakness in the food, the the global food system. Um, You know, even before the war started uh, last year, we saw food prices increase by a wide margin. in fact, there is an index produced by the uh, Food and Agriculture Organization, which is the UN agency. Uh, and the index there just before the war was at its highest on record. Um, and the main reason for that is because um, basically food consumption rebounded after the COVID crisis. Uh, you had quite a lot of stockpiling during the crisis itself, um, and then consumption restarted. Um, we had a series of bad harvests, uh, which uh, also depleted stocks or, or prevented them from building up. And then also you had a number of logistical issues. Um, you saw, for example, you know, uh, hundreds of containers of coffee being uh, blocked in, in some of uh, the Latin American ports. Uh, grain also was prevented from traveling in some instances. Um, it was particularly severe for things that travel in container because we had, we had a big container shortage uh, and freight rates were really high. So that fed into uh, lower stocks, um, lower uh, quantities available for consumption and above all high prices for um, the vast majority of, of staples uh, of food worldwide. So we got into the war with this situation, um, which it must be said was worse than uh, the situation we had before the last food crisis, uh, where you know stocks were, were not as low and there were a number of other things that were better than than today. Um, And today, what what we've seen is, um, I guess, there's a number of impacts that we should probably uh, recap here. The first and the most obvious is that Russia and Ukraine together, uh, they rank among the the top three exporters for uh, uh, quite a lot of food staples. So wheat is the major one. Uh, Together, they account for nearly 30% of global exports. Um, uh, Maize is another one. Uh, Ukraine, in particular, is very big in, in maize. Uh, oil seeds so things you you produce vegetable oil with uh soya beans um together russia and ukraine um, i didn't know that before i started reporting on this crisis but they account for nearly 70 percent of the below the, you know, the, the global market of uh, vegetable oil um so that that's that's massive um and you know what's been happening in ukraine uh, is preventing some of these exports from traveling uh that's an immediate impact the ports are closed um Meanwhile, Russia is having trouble exporting its own production because of the sanctions. Um, it's less obvious for wheat because a lot of wheat is already uh, basically has already shipped. Uh, but even then, some is still to be exported. I think that's about 7% of total annual exports that is basically blocked, trapped into Ukraine and Russia. So that's the first impact. It's just this, the sheer uh, volume of this production that's lost to the, the global market, uh, at least for now. Uh, the second impact is, uh, I guess, it's also, it's also been talked about uh, and is equally important, is the impact on fertilizer prices. Uh, so that's more relevant to future production, uh, but that's already reflected in prices because prices are a signal of, of future production as well. Uh, Russia is the number one, you know, two or three uh, producer, depending on the type of fertilizer you, you focus on. Um, and that's also going to be harder to export now. Uh, Russia and Belarus also is very big, and Belarus is also subject to sanctions. Um, so you were going to see uh, fertiliser prices rises, uh, and that already doubled or tripled last year for you know logistical issues preventing them from going from one place to another, but also high energy prices, which are um, which feed into the prices of fertilisers because you need a lot of natural gas to transform some of these uh, uh, chemicals. Um, and to make things worse, so if you combine these two things, um, uh, what makes things worse is that there is a, you know, a concentration of dependence uh, in terms of which country depend on the supplies that come from the Black Sea, so the region around Russia and Ukraine. Um, it's over 30 countries that, account, that depend on the Black Sea supplies for more than 30% of the wheat, for example. Uh, and that's largely countries in North Africa, uh, the Middle East, uh, the rest of Africa and Asia. So that's that's a pretty potent uh, cocktail of of uh, of nasty forces here, um, and wow. I can get into the longer term consequences, but I guess you
1: you'd well, rather well,
2: spend more time on this.
1: My my question to follow up on that is I, I've read some statistics showing that uh, maybe up to four hundred million people in the world are are depending on grain from Russia and and uh, and, and Ukraine now. Could you tell us, like, the worst case scenario for the world on on where this is going, and perhaps even the best case, what we could hope for if if, if this was going to be minimized?
2: Yeah, uh, I think there's there's a number of uh, variables that you you need to look at. The the first one is just the price. Uh, so you know how our price going to to behave in in the near future, um, and so if you know the, almost the entirety of the of the exports that are supposed to are lost if the next harvest in Russia and Ukraine is also lost uh, to, to a good extent. Not the full extent, right? It's not actually the worst case scenario, but uh, I've seen simulation that assume, you know, perhaps like a third to half is lost. Um, prices could rise by, for wheat, uh, prices could rise by 10 to 25%. Um, now I'm running this up, but this is what's been uh, projected. And this is up from today's already extraordinary levels. So this is really, really high prices. And this is in addition to very high cost of energy, uh, oil and gas prices worldwide are really high. Um, That plus, uh, you know, other grains are going to be more expensive, uh, less so, but still more expensive. Uh, Seeds and fertilizers are going to be more expensive. And this will feed also into higher prices for other foodstuff that is, you know, not supposed to be impacted by the war but there's a ripple effect. So uh, grain is uh, uh, is is used also to a good extent in feeding animals, for example, uh, you also need a lot of energy to, to uh, produce dairy products. Uh, so these two things mean that also meat prices are going to rise, um, and dairy prices are going to rise by like a, a smaller extent, you know, it's maybe three to 10%, depending on the, the projections. But again, if you factor in the fact that uh, uh, poor countries have been hit by COVID, they're still they're, they're struggling to recover from that, um, and that prices are already really high today, you're you're setting yourself for a big shock. Uh, so if you look at the impacts, um, the COVID crisis itself, um, you know, there's there's estimates out there that I think the World Bank that that um, uh, estimated that in 2020, the impact of COVID, uh meant that the number of uh, hungry people worldwide uh, stood at between 720 and 810 million people uh, worldwide. Uh, the estimates that I've seen from the FAO uh, uh, indicate that perhaps it could add an, um, like eight, between eight and 15 million more people to this um, to this total, uh, which is a you know immense total. It's, it's close to a billion people worldwide that are. Going hungry, Uh, and this is uh, making it very hard to think that our target of hitting zero hungry people by 2030 is achievable. Um, We should be, you know, by now we should be uh, working really hard on reducing this number. And and instead, we're seeing the potential that it will rise uh, further in the coming years. Uh, That plus, you know, a a more global macroeconomic uh, shock—perhaps one percentage point of uh, global growth will disappear. Uh, Global inflation could have 2.5 percentage points more uh, because of higher food and fuel prices. And again, as usual, the impact of that is concentrated on a select number of countries, not the entire world. Um, And if I I push to the logical conclusion of that, we'll have more countries that need aid at a time when geopolitical difficulties mean that perhaps more will spend, uh, be spent on military spending, so there will be less available uh, to spend on development. So you can see the, the the consequences of perhaps something that we thought was maybe limited in time, and also in terms of what sort of crops it affects, could have long-lasting consequences, uh, and also uh, it could infa- impact a, a great number of countries.
0: Yeah, so you're, you're mentioning that uh, that the world will be affected in various ways, depending geographically where you are, but also asymmetrically, perhaps, in the impact of, uh, of this crisis. And my question is concerning uh, the West. Um, how will the West be affected specifically? And do you think there will be enough pressure or even moral imperative from the West to kind of help out these countries that aren't just facing price pressure, but actually starvation?
2: Yeah, I think the West um, is, right now, the, the discourse is more focused on energy prices, definitely. I mean, where I am in the UK, it's all over the news. Food prices to an extent, um, but its I don't think it's filtered through the main um, as much in, in the public discourse. We will be impacted too, um, especially because we live so close to the regions that are being impacted. Uh, we produce quite a lot of uh, wheat and grain in Europe. So we are perhaps less impacted by that. But there's other things like soya beans, uh, vegetable oil, uh, and fertilizers, especially um, that we will need from from these regions, and and they're likely to to come in higher prices and, and lower volumes. So that's that's an issue. Uh, I think the impact, though, is going to be most felt in other countries, uh, it will be in, in the nets, big net importers, the ones that I already mentioned, you know, in, in North Africa, the Middle East, and that's because they import more from the regions I'm speaking about, but also because uh, they tend to consume less transformed food. Uh, so in our food system, we eat more processed food. So the whenever the cost of raw materials increase, there is there are more, more buffers along the supply chain to absorb these increases, right? Uh, so, you know, the, the cost of wheat in a baguette, you know, in a French baguette, if I take my country as an example, is about 5%. So it's quite small. So if... You know, the cost of wheat doubles. Uh, yes, the baguette will be a bit more expensive, but it's far less of an impact than if you consume that grain uh, pretty much raw. You buy it in the market as a household, you know, in North Africa, you, the impact will be much worse. Um, and also th- th- there will be a big impact on government finances because in, you know, in Egypt, and a lot of countries, um, there's a lot of subsidies that go towards foods so that uh, household can afford to buy it. Um, and you can imagine, right, if the price of wheat is is double what it was six or twelve months ago, then then it's just as much that has to be spent on, on subsidies. Again, at a time when a lot of money has been spent on on supporting people during COVID. So that's that's the thing, right? Um will will there be more pressure on, on Western government track? I, th- I think so, yes, because because the picture is going to be pretty clear uh pretty soon. But there will be competing priorities because the cost of living is rising pretty fast in our countries as well.
1: And just to throw that in, when, when this happened last in 2007 and 2008, there, there, that inspired the Arab Spring. And, and do you think that could happen as well? We ha- would have political unrest happening again.
2: It's very possible, yeah. Political unrest is, is, is always a possibility whenever uh, there is a food crisis involved. It's, you know, it's the most basic uh, uh, thing, commodity that, that people need to buy. Uh, so when people can't afford to eat, uh, sometimes the only channel they can, uh, you know, vent their frustration at is just uh, to go on the streets and, and stage protests, if not riots. So this is definitely a possibility, yes.
0: So it does sound like uh, there will be <laughs> different and maybe even less pressure uh, competing priorities, as you said, uh, in the West, what, uh, what should
2: governments be focused on right now? So there's a number, it, it's always difficult to fight a, a food crisis, uh, and especially one of these magnitudes, you know, it's, there's not been a shock of this, uh, I guess, importance to the, the global wheat supply since the First World War. And even then, actually, you could argue the stocks were higher. And uh, there were a number of uh, factors that meant the, the shock could be absorbed a bit better. Um, so it's difficult to to mitigate that fully but there's a number of you know uh, if I can call them that uh, relatively easy uh, recourses um, one is to uh, divert some of the stock that's being used to feed animals um, because the, actually the volumes that are used you know, are pretty big um, it's like you know, tens of millions of tons so uh, this this could be done, but the, the difficulty with that is you, you will still need something to to feed livestock, right? You can't <laughs> do without that. So it's it, the danger is that then there is a spillover effect to other crops, uh, and to an extent you're you're seeing that already, actually. In in for example, in corn, um, the other thing you can do is to um, is to reduce some of the mandates uh, for biofuels. So in America, for example. There's a, a, a required amount of biofuel that you need to blend with, with gasoline. Uh, and this uses actually quite a lot of, uh, of, of food crops as well. Um, and uh, the difficulty here is because high uh, energy prices are, are pretty high, it creates also fresh demand for um, food, uh, food produce being used as a, as a feed for, for fuels because it makes them more competitive. So I think you know, finding ways to disincentivize that would probably be a good idea uh, if you want to focus on on food in priority. Um, then the, the you know the the next thing is to support people we need it most. So in our countries uh, we need to provide more fiscal support uh, to you know the, the the household that struggle the most to pay for the food. Um, we can't leave the whole burden to food banks. You know they already here at maximum capacity. We're receiving appeals from from colleagues and other people to receive more help for food banks because because they're they're struggling to to meet the demand. Uh, And this shouldn't happen, governments should step in. And finally, outside our borders, we, you know, uh, if if the, 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 you know, the call is to spend more on the military, we shouldn't forget about development because this is crucial and this is needed, especially now It's going to be needed in, in the next, you know, one three five years uh in, in greater than, than ever probably
1: some of our young uh, listeners Mathieu, would perhaps ask you know, is this all for governments to fix or is there something we can contribute with would you uh recommend the consumers to think of something should we eat less meat should we uh, go vegan or, or what is there something small that we can all do
2: well there is uh one thing that's proven you know it's and it's not just uh about food prices, also climate change. It is true that if you eat less meat, generally it's less resource-intensive. It will consume less water, less grain. You know, the amount of grain that you need to to grow a, a car, for example, is multiple the times that you would eat yourself if you were to feed yourself the same number of calories. Uh, so that's definitely something you can do. Um, you know, to limit your probably your your food bill uh, and also to limit your impact on the planet. Definitely, yeah.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us for for this episode, Matthew, and and all the best with your journalism on on focusing on the financial situation in Europe and beyond. And and thank you once again.
2: You're very welcome. A pleasure.